0: This podcast
1: is shareable. This show is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. To learn more about joining and to see all of our shareable shows, go to shareable.fm. Hey, what's up? It's Jeff. And I'm Caroline. We're your hosts of Shareable, the podcast about people and technology and the impact Those two forces have on our lives and careers. If you're a new subscriber, we want to thank you for subscribing, and if you're an existing subscriber, welcome back, we love you, and if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for, get on it. Now, without further ado, let's get to the
2: episode.
1: Caroline, I had an incredible idea the other night, and I have to tell you about it. Tell me about it. I set up a phone number so that our audience can call in and tell us all about the ways that people in technology have changed their lives.
0: That's awesome.
1: I know. It's great. And they can also tell us what they like and don't like about the show. So I'm going to give them the number. Hopefully they're ready for it. 551-25-SHARE. I hope they call in. 551-25-SHARE? Five, five, That's it.
0: How else can our listeners get involved?
1: That is a great question, and I'm super glad you asked about it. I set up a private Facebook group exclusively for subscribers where they can get access to our guests, all of our goofy outtakes, and even special events.
0: Wow. That sounds awesome, but how can they get in?
1: Another great question, Caroline just subscribe to our email list.
0: That's so easy.
1: So easy. How do we even introduce Shareable Season 3? I guess (laughs) we should just say, hey, welcome back to Shareable Season 3.
0: That's good. That works for me. Yeah,
1: I like that. And uh, I think Season 1 was wonderful. I think Season 2 was fantastic. And Mm -hmm. all of that bonus content, I'm sure our uh, subscribers and listeners really loved. But what they're probably going to love most of all, Caroline, Mm -hmm. if I had to assume anything, Mm -hmm. is that we have, uh, I think we found it Oh, you know,
0: you really, yeah, like it,
1: like the formula. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that formula here in the first episode of season three. And I think while we do that, uh, I think it's important to talk about who else we have with us today. So um, Denise, say hello to our listeners and have them welcome you back with open arms.
2: Hello, I'm Denise Lee Yan, and it's so great to be back.
1: Many of our listeners may remember Denise from season one. She was our second guest, am mm-hmm. I correct? Number yes. two. Woo-hoo! And
2: number one on yeah. season three. Woo-hoo! Wow! <laughs> I'm yeah. so honored. What a journey. Well, welcome back. <laughs> it was,
1: uh, I'm so glad that, um, you know, podcasting is such a cool thing because uh, not only do I get to just sit here and hang out with Caroline, which is one of my favorite things to do, <laughs> uh, but two, I get to meet such amazing people and keep in touch. You know, it, we barely knew each other prior to season one. And since then, we've kept in touch. I've been following you on Twitter, you follow me on Twitter, and we get to see what each other are really into. And um, that's been really cool for me because I actually, from when I first met you, I feel like a lot of the things that you've been working on and talking about have slightly shifted from when I first met you.
2: Yes, with good reason. Should I get into that now?
1: You know what? I think it's a good time for you to
2: tell us why. <laughs> All right. Well, I should say that I love brands. I always have, and I think I always will, um, because you know, as a consumer. Um, you know, I just love kind of watching ads and going and shopping and, and just uh, seeing how different brands behave. Um, but as a professional, um, I'm just fascinated with how much influence they have, not only um, influence on consumers' purchase decisions, but then influence on the success of a company. Um, so I remain fascinated by brands, but I have to tell you that in the You know, 25 plus years of working on brands, I've started in the last maybe five years, I started to actually get a little bit frustrated um, with uh, when I was consulting clients um, that we were, we seemed to kind of sometimes hit. Um, a, a, a wall or a glass ceiling in our brand building work. You know, most of my clients hire me to, to re- rejuvenate their brands or in some cases to position them and start them off in the first place. And in both cases, what I found is that if, if the business leaders were not interested in working on the internal aspects of brand building, you know, my first book, What Great Brands Do, talks about how great brands start inside. If, if they weren't willing to cultivate a strong brand-led culture inside their companies, then all the work that we were doing would have um, limited effect. It certainly, it could help, but um, I really started to understand the importance of culture and furthermore, the, align, the importance of alignment and integration of brand and culture. So that's why you probably have seen a little bit of a shift where I'm, I'm talking about brand plus culture.
1: I'm I'm absolutely loving it too because we have run into a lot of the same things. I mean, albeit it our our uh, our modes of going into companies and what we work on them with is different from yours, but we often get brought in because companies want us to help fix their Facebook page. So they're like, "Hey, come do more social media." And um, my fascination with social has always been in, in very similar to you know, what you're looking about starting inside, you know, social being a reflection of the company culture of how you treat your customers, social just amplifies and really shows people what that actually is. So I'm in the same boat as you. And I've really appreciated watching your shift towards more talking about the company culture, and how that impacts the brand. So what are some of the things that you've been, you know, your focus has shifted a bit, what are some of the things that you've been looking at studying uh, doing as, as far as the work that you're doing talk to us a little bit about what your life has looked like since we last uh, spoke with you on shareable
2: mm-hmm. um, well you know I'm always I've always been a voracious reader um, both of books and um, you know magazines and, um, and then online reading um, but you know as probably like most other people I've started really to get into podcasts a lot more and you um, you know, I, I listen to a ton of different kinds of podcasts, but one that is just kind of—it's um, been—I feel like it's a little bit of an indulgence because while it is related to the subject of brand and culture, it's—it's it's just fascinating, and that is the NPR podcast called "How I Built This."
0: I love this show, Denise. I'm literally smiling ear to ear. <laughs> I, it's just—it's—it's it's so addicting. I feel like whenever I listen to that show, I just leave feeling so motivated. Do you feel that too after you listen?
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, what's great is that, um, you know, it's telling, it's having entrepreneurs and founders talk about their, um, their Stories and um, it it is really motivating. It's also, I think, very clarifying. You know, um, I think that Steve Jobs was was the one who once said, "You know, I was an overnight success that took me, you know, ten or twenty years or whatever." And I think that's what happens to a lot of these brands that we hear about. And I, you know, some of the more notable episodes that I remember from the podcast are ones from like Starbucks and Ben and Jerry's and Patagonia, Mm -hmm. and. Uh, What was clear in hearing the founder stories from each one of those brands is that it was really a long process for them to build the brands and the organizations that they have and gotten to the level that they've gotten to. And so it was inspiring. It's been inspiring to listen, but it's also been, uh, like I said, clarifying in the sense that, you know, building a brand and cultivating a strong culture, um, or I should say a healthy culture, are um things that take a lot of work and a lot of time. And you make a lot of mistakes along the way. You know, you experience a lot of failures. um, But somehow um, these leaders have the resilience and the persistence, um, maybe a little bit of luck and a lot of wisdom that have gotten them to where they are. And so I I just love hearing their stories.
1: So let me ask you that I've admittedly only listened to one episode. And I've been was, begging him to you, listen. You have, I, I, <laughs> I have certain podcasts that I'm just a little too addicted to at the moment and I haven't gotten well, to we it. We
0: understand. I, I, yeah.
1: Anyway, I listened to one with Richard Branson. It was great. Uh, but let uh, me ask you a question, just kind of, uh, uh, I don't know how to frame the question, but do you think in having listened to these number of different episodes and, and hearing these founder stories and the different people and, and how they look at their company culture and the mistakes they made, do you think think that it's possible to fix a bad apple um, or or do you not think that there are such things as bad apples that you know anybody can be rehabilitated as a leader but I, I wonder because both Caroline and I exchanged a nonverbal cue to one another that we were thinking the same thing about someone that we have uh, worked with in the past and um, and and it just seemed that no matter how much we tried to convince them that their culture was important and that you know the way that they built their brand from the inside mattered. Just fell on deaf ears. Do you think that that's something that can be fixed?
2: Um. Okay. Well, I think we need to clarify whether we're talking about the founder or leader being a bad apple or just someone in their organization. Um, If it's the former, um, you know, it really takes a very serious intervention, and I think that um, you know the current um, story on Uber will really show whether or not uh, a company and a brand can recover. From a, 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 a massive leadership failure, um, I think that if you, it's a bad apple in the organization, you know, if it's a key leader or someone who just is is maybe a great performer but is just not aligned with the culture, um, I, frankly, I, I, you need to, uh, to get rid of that person. Um, there is nothing that will destroy your culture more than to hang on to someone like that. Not only because. They um, just drag down the culture and really I think, um, uh, probably reverse a lot of the the, the culture building efforts that you have. But it also sends a strong message to the rest of your organization that, hey, we're willing to tolerate bad apples, and that's just not a message that goes over well. So um, I think that if you have the the commitment um, to uh, expunge any bad apples, um yes I uh and and you have to do you have to do that if you really want to flourish and thrive.
1: Yeah. It we're going to I want to talk a little bit more about this in a little bit um because you were kind enough to send us an advanced copy of your forthcoming book and I actually wrote down a couple quotes about this very very same situation, I want to go back over that when we talk about your book in a moment, uh, but I want to ask you about some of the other things that you're looking at and that uh, and that you would share with people who let let's take the example of somebody that does want to be in that position of of somebody that would eventually be interviewed on um, the NPR podcast is how I built it right mm-hmm. how yeah, I yes. how I built this so so somebody that wants to get to that point and they're trying to build you know, the ideal culture and they're trying to make it aligned with what their brand values are and, and all of that, what are some of the things that you would look at as resources or things that they should be looking at?
2: Right. Well, um, you know, in general, one of my um, go-to resources has always been the Harvard Business Review, and I know that um, it sounds like I'm kind of, you know, name dropping. Or you know, like when people, when you ask people what TV they watch, they're always like, "Oh, well, I watch PBS and the Discovery Channel." And you're Like, yeah, right. Really, you're it's watching. It's like how Jessica me and Clinton.
1: Barack Obama play basketball every weekend together. <laughs> in
2: <the interview laughs> really casual. After casually.
1: I had lunch with Oprah.
2: But if it's any, if it's any evidence to you, when I recently moved homes, and And part of that moving process was getting rid of every single Harvard Business Review issue that I had read and kept since 1994. Okay. No joke. All right, so I have been, and you're like, gosh, he's a hoarder. This is really a problem. No,
1: I want to know how many it was. Like, what, are we measuring this in pounds, metric tons?
2: It would like we had to get one of those, you know, dumpsters outside our home for, for that, as well as a lot of other files that I had to get rid of. <laughs> Um, But I I just wanted to share that um, so that you would understand that I really am an avid reader of this magazine. Uh, But what is great is that about a year ago or so, they went to a different format, um, which... basically involves every so now they're they publish I think six issues a year so January February they go in depth on a particular topic um with um maybe like one seminal piece that is a research and kind of idea and thought leadership piece and then they'll have um a bunch of other pieces related to it. So in the January February issue this year their feature was called the culture factor um and their little subline is Employee attitudes can make or break your business. Here's how to get everyone moving in the right direction. And as you can imagine, given what we've already talked about, I was fascinated with this and really just found so many great insights, um, research data points, uh, examples, anecdotes, just everything from this, uh, from from this feature, and it just shows how great Harvard Business Review is. So, like the um, the 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 main article, it reports on research that was done by Spencer Stewart, and it just talks about what it takes in order to to cultivate your culture, um, to, to set your culture in the right way. Um, but then, that you know, they have all these other articles about hiring and about um, CEO activism and um, uh, just. I, I don't know, like just all these great um, aspects or different um, dimensions of culture that I just found fascinating. So um, that's my plug for Harvard Business Review, and no, I'm not getting paid by them.
0: That's
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, I I love that you uh, that you have those those different things to share. Pardon the pun, but really at the <laughs> core of this show, shareable, it's about sharing things that are worth being shared, and and ultimately we're looking at things that. Uh, are about people and technology, but that impact our lives and careers. And I think you just gave two really great examples of things that will definitely feature in our show notes so that as you shared them on air and it's being beamed right to the, uh, the ears of our listeners right now, they can also go and check the show notes and get links to those articles. Uh, they'll be able to go and get, uh, you know, links right. to a couple different of our favorite episodes that we'll also talk about, um, you know, after we get off the air, we'll, we'll pick some of your favorite of the, uh, the how I built this. Um, but I want to shift gears because, uh, I, I, I need to pick your brain about a couple of things. I, as I said, I've been watching what you've been doing and I I've noticed a shift towards culture and I've known you to be the the brand person in my, like, even in my CRM, you are tagged as, as brand. Um, but now I've tagged you as culture and, Mm -hmm. um, And there's a lot to talk about here. You are on the verge of releasing a new book, Fusion, which again, you were kind enough to send over and give us an advanced copy to look at. Um, And I think it would be almost impossible for me to simplify this book entirely because I think part of the beauty of the book that you've put together is in its complexity. Uh, It is not, this is not a light read that you're just gonna like, you know, toss aside and, and check out in 45 minutes. This is, it seemed to me almost to be like a blueprint of how you do this from building from the inside out starting from
2: scratch. I'm so glad to hear you say that, Jeff, because that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to break or go beyond just talking about culture kind of at the rhetoric or the idea level and give business leaders... A specific roadmap for if they want to um, work on their culture. This is how you do it. So, I'm, thank you. I'm so glad to hear that.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll take it one step further, and I'll, I'll say that um, the the thought that crossed my mind as as I was going through it was I I got to certain points and I was like, holy crap! They're gonna like a a brand would be smart to take this book hire somebody who has experience in brand and culture and, and, and has skills and empathy and, uh, you know, just generally good people skills and such. And they should be hired simply to go through this book and implement like every single piece of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I looked at, it and I was like, I don't know how, but I was thinking about someone I wanted to give it to, but the person <laughs> in question, I was like, they, they just, they would not be able to get through the complexity of it. Mm. Um, that said, I think that there's a lot of things that you do in the book that I really, really like. And I, and again, I don't want to simplify the entire book because I think it would be impossible. And I certainly don't want to give away too much in the book. But there are a couple things I wrote down that I want to call out and, and kind of give you kudos on and discuss. The first was I really like that you did key takeaways in the book. Um, mm. I think that it helped to kind of bridge the gap between... What is an actually very complex topic that I think you did a really great job of explaining very thoroughly, but also providing, you know, at the end of it, when you get through that and you're like, I need to go take a breather and think about this stuff to say, here are some things that you should go and do and think about. Here are the key takeaways. So I just want to give you kudos on that.
2: Great. And Um, can I just say, I'm sorry, Jeff, but I, and, and this is going to sound promotional and I really don't intend it to be, but I actually, um, on my website, um, for the book, I have some additional resources. And one of the things that I am, um, posting up there, um, uh, if you pre-order the book now is that you will get those takeaways in a PDF that you can download and print and, you know, do whatever you want with it. So, cause you know, sometimes if you are, even if you're on an ebook, um, but even, you know, if you have a, a printed book, sometimes you look at those takeaways and they're like, oh, this is great. And you know, you're highlighting or you're underlining. but then you close the book and then you never look at them again. And I really want people to use the takeaways. So like I said, I don't mean to sound like an ad, but I just want to say, no, you, that's you, awesome. the book, you get, you, you email me your receipt, you get all these bonus materials. And one of them is those key takeaways.
1: Well, I love that because <laughs> right now my what I have is basically just all of those key takeaways are dog eared, and I was planning to have one of my interns write all of them down. So, your plan is better.
2: Yeah, um, and Your intern will be so happy. Yeah. She will.
1: So, I want to pull out a, a, a couple pieces from the book that I really, really loved, and I, I would just love for you to talk a little bit more about them because I think these are things that are super worth sharing and for our listeners to to hear. So, I pulled out a couple things, they're direct quotes from the book, and I'd love you to just talk a little bit about them. Um, so, you wrote The Purpose of Your Business and the purpose of your brand should be seamlessly integrated and tightly aligned. And I sent you over the graphic that I had put together a couple of years ago, kind of the meeting of our minds. But I love this idea that um, why your business exists and, why, and how your brand is perceived need to be tightly aligned. Why do you think that needs to be talked about right now? Do you think a lot of businesses are, are missing that that link exists?
2: Yes, I do. I think that is uh, the common approach is to have a, a mission statement for your business, uh, which is is about like what you do, the scope of what you do, ultimately creating value for your shareholders and customers, or blah blah blah. Um, and then, oftentimes. Times, um you will have your marketing people that will uh, develop uh, a core purpose or, or brand essence or something like that for your brand, and never the two shall meet in the sense that they are often different ideas. Um, both of them are important, um, but I think that when you have... To, to disconnected ideas like that, it's confusing at, at best for the people who are working on it. Um, you know, your employees are like, well, are we? Is the mission statement our guiding north star, or is the brand purpose our guiding north star? And, and um, so there's there's confusion. I think it, at worst leads to the kinds of disconnects that you've that we've seen. In you know uh, corporate America recently, whether it is um, you know I I hate to you know name check people but or name check companies, but like you know Wells Fargo, you know they they certainly had um, a a mission statement for the business that was very much about um, profitability and revenue and growth. Um, Their brand, I think, was much more about um, you know their their old-fashioned values and and um, just kind of being, I think. Uh, a uh, warm and friendly and community oriented bank, and what happened? We see employees, you know, cr- uh, being accused of creating false accounts and and doing things for customers that were not authorized by those customers because they wanted to make these numbers to fulfill the business mission. So, um, and and Wells Fargo is by far not the only company that suffers from these kinds of disconnects. But if you have one overarching purpose that really guides and drives and aligns everything that you do as an organization, then you have that common motivation, you have that unity, and most importantly, you have that alignment that ensures that everyone's making the right decisions. So, you know, probably the best example is, you know, Nike to bring innovation inspiration to every athlete. You know, that's their that that's their core statement. I don't know if they call it a purpose or not, but I would call it their purpose. And then informs everything they do. And so it really makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know one of the things I really love about this is that I think on the at first glance when you think about this, you know, having a brand purpose versus having sort of like your internal single vision as a company, it, it almost seems complex to have the two of them and finding a way to unite them. But at the end, I mean, how much more simple is that to have one kind of guiding north star than it is to have these kind of two potentially in conflict uh, ways of moving forward?
2: Yeah, I think you just need to be deliberate about it. You know, I think if you're disciplined and, and you know, just say this is what we're going to do, it's, it's really not that hard.
1: Yeah, and I think that it also speaks to another thing you wrote in the book. You wrote, uh, to achieve core values congruence, your brand must behave consistently with its external image. So again, I think if your internal... Kind of drivers versus what you're saying your brand perception should be out in the world are inconsistent with one another. If you make them consistent, if you make them one single guiding kind of vision, you should be able to move consistently. And then how you want to be perceived is how you are perceived.
2: Yeah, and you know I think that customers as well as employees, um, you know, really crave authenticity, and they also have a pretty you know good BS meter in that sense. In that, um, you know, they they can tell when a company is just saying something versus when they're really doing it. And they and they have the means, I think, to do a lot more, you know, to pull back the curtain and really look at companies and say, are they really operating the way they say they, they are? Um or are are they really living by these values that they claim to uphold. And um so if you want to pass that test of, of authenticity, you need to have that alignment.
1: Yeah. I absolutely love this. Uh, there's there's one more thing that I wrote down here uh, in, in going through the book that I thought was just, it was so beautiful. And and I think uh, so many businesses would do well to just take from this. And, and it was the specific words that you used, I thought, were uh, what made this so powerful. You said small decisions and behaviors. That's my favorite part of it. Telegraph to your organization the strengths of your commitment to brand culture fusion. So model behaviors you want embraced organization-wide. And I think that When we get into those culture conversations, and when we get into even if we're to take it that next step and get into that deeper conversation of how your brand and your uh, culture need to be aligned, so that they're you know in your words that they're you achieve fusion, um, I think we think of big actions. I think we think of big, bold, sweeping movements and big lofty statements. But I think what you're talking about here is really powerful that I think the small decisions and behaviors are often some of the most powerful ways that we exhibit the type of company we want to be.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, one of the examples I have on my book is um, actually Marvin Ellison, um, who is heading up JCPenney and really trying to, you know, revitalize that brand and that company. And, And, you know, quite honestly, I'm not sure how successful so his efforts are going to be not for any fault on his part. I just think that the industry is moving away from department stores like that. But, you know, small decision he made when he first started working there was that, you know what, I'm going to wear J.C. Penny clothes. And, and you know, it seems like a duh kind of uh, decision. Well, of course, if you work at the company, shouldn't you wear its clothes? But I, apparently, I guess a lot of the executives weren't. Um, they probably were wearing clothes from much nicer retailers and much nicer brands. Or, um, or I wouldn't say nicer, but maybe um, brands that had more status.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, you know, so not only did he decide, make that decision for himself, but then he also said, you know what? Uh, when when we as executives go into our stores, we will wear JCPenney clothes. And you know, that kind of thing I think just creates a sense of pride and solidarity with your employees in the stores. And then also I think sends a powerful message to your customers. You know, they see you know these professional looking people wearing jc clothes and i think it does something so it it you know to me that's just like a a, a small decision you know there're plenty of big decisions that he's made in terms of reorganization and and changing the scope of his business and you know uh dropping some brands adding others but he's done like huge things, um, huge decisions and huge changes. But I think these little things are just as important.
0: Yeah, I actually want to chime in on that note, um, because in the spirit of sharing, this is reminding me of a TED Talk that one of my best friends had shown me a while ago. It's called Everyday Leadership by a guy named Drew Dudley. And it was from 2010. But he talks about the concept of leadership and about how it becomes this thing that we've made unattainable and special. It's like outside of things that we can do every day. And the whole point of the talk is that you can impact people with these decisions that you make in your everyday lives. And you don't necessarily know how you're being a leader to someone else. So he talks a lot about these things that he calls lollipop moments where You've impacted somebody else and they've come back and told you. But I I can sit here and name a handful of moments like that where Mm -hmm. Jeff has impacted me with random everyday decisions that have led to that same feeling of solidarity that has inspired me to move forward.
2: You know, Caroline, I'm so glad to hear you say that for for two reasons. One is um, that uh, you know sometimes people think about like when they look at culture and brand, and you know they see a book like mine. I think, oh well, I'm just a small agency, or I'm just a small company or small business I can't do those things right and I don't want to make assumptions about you or in Jeff's business but I, I would assume that you know you would be a great model for some of these people who are like you know what am I too small or I don't have enough resources or you know it's just me and a couple of people what difference does it really make and, and obviously it, it you, it's made an impact so I'm glad you shared it from that perspective I also um, think it, it raises an important point which is that um, even if you're not the head of a company, even if you're not like in the C-suite whom this book really is targeted to, I think you can still get a lot of value out of the, the strategies and the steps and the actions that I outlined. Because, you know, you make decisions every day on how you're going to lead yourself and your team. And if you can um, align those with, with, you know, core values that you believe are, are, you know, critical and that align with the organization. I think that you, um, will be this great everyday leader. So, um, thank you for sharing that. I think it's, it just helps me make a couple of really important points.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I would just chime in to say one, thank you, Caroline. But, um, I think that I would, um, I would strongly encourage anyone C-suite or otherwise to read the book. You know, um, when you change the way that you think about things, you will naturally change the way you act. Um, and whether mm. everybody can pick up everything that is in this book, which I, I honestly, like, I need to read it a second time because I feel like there's so much in here. And there was, I didn't take nearly enough notes going through it. Um, <laughs> but but I do believe that... Um, whatever you add to your brain, you know, I always think of it as like, you know, building blocks and Legos in my brain, but everything that I add there, I feel like makes me a more well-rounded person. And you've put so much work into this. And, you know, we've only really talked today about the key takeaways um, and, you know, in terms of like the high level points, but the book isn't just key takeaways. It's it's a lot of real world examples. And I think that makes it very real for people in any position, whether you're, you know, a barista at Starbucks or you're Howard Schultz, um, when you see a real world example, it makes it very concrete. So I think you've done a really great job of bringing real-world examples into it, of giving some very um, bite-sized, tangible takeaways, and then also going into some really, really heavy, heady... Thoughtful type of things. Um, I, I I almost uh, was going to pull out some of the you know your ten dollars words in there because there there are a couple in there. I'm like oh, I
2: gotta, <laughs> I in a dictionary.
1: Um, but but it's a really great book, and I just want to give you a shout out for that. And again, thank you for sending it over early. I encourage all of our listeners to go and uh, pick up a copy, check out, get all the advanced materials from Denise. Um, Denise, is there anything else you're working on you want to let people know about before we wrap up this episode?
2: Well, I, um, not else but um, maybe in addition I will say that the book includes a link to an online assessment um, which is free for for everyone to use and it really helps you understand what kind of culture you should be cultivating and then how far are off you are from that culture today and um, you know by understanding that I think then I think you really understand like your action steps. So I, I, again, I don't want to sound like an ad, but my whole point of writing this book is to be helpful. and so I wanted people to know that they have this assessment, which I think will um, be very illuminating to them.
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't worry about sounding like an ad. I'll be the ad for you because I'm such an advocate for company culture. It's something I'm obsessed with. I'm writing my book on leadership. So, you know, I'm I'm 100% with you. I'm all about company culture. I'm all about that no matter what you're doing on your marketing, your sales, if you don't have a strong core, if you don't have fusion at your core, you will not succeed. Uh, to the extent that you are capable of if you really get all of your pieces in alignment. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. I challenge everybody listening to go through these exercises, go through the book. It's going to be intense analysis and self-reflection, brainstorming, uh, a lot of note-taking, a lot of conversations, but I think it's well worth it. So thank you for writing the book. Thank you for coming on the show and, and talking to our audience thank about it and sharing not just your book, but also the the Harvard Business Review and the, the podcast as well. The show is about sharing and, and you came correct today. <laughs> well,
2: thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been great speaking with both of you. Thanks so much.
1: Uh, Carolyn. I think this episode went fantastic for uh, episode one of season three. Yeah, we're
0: really putting the share and shareable. We really are. Say.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll cover more about what the concept <laughs> for season three is more deliberately uh, in another episode or or maybe after this we'll record a little something. I don't know. But whatever it is, I would say that this episode had one word that came to mind for me about how I would describe it. Caroline, how would you describe it?
0: Shareable. Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan, or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at shareablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more you won't find any of that in your podcast feed you can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else you can find jeff online at jeffgiver.com and you can connect with me on twitter at caroline Tassone because i don't have a website yet So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible. Shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ehimitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value, and our lovely intern, Natalie, who helps me put the show together every week.